Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Bookable Space. I'm your host, Yvonne Battlefelton, and we're joined in this episode by Ross Dryblatt. Ross will be reading to us from and talking about his book, I Am Not Brad Pitt, and other stories. Ross, thank you for joining us. Could you please tell us a bit about the book? Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. I didn't realize we were live. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so the book is three stories. They're mainly deal with celebrities. And it's about my, first of all, I have a little bit of an obsession about popular culture. It's mainly what I write about. But this book in particular is about looking at our culture's obsession with fame and celebrity. I don't, well, I, I just don't get it why people are so enamored of celebrities and and fame. And there's a whole business side around it that's a little unsavory. So I'm taking a little shot at it. That's all. And the three stories in it, I Am Not Brad Pitt is about a, a guy who looks just like Brad Pitt and the trouble he gets into because of that. Um, then there's just stories about celebrity vampires, mainly with uh, Keith Richards, who looks like a vampire. We always assumed he'd be a vampire. Um, and there's some guest stars in there like Dolly Parton and uh, Madonna makes a guest appearance. And uh, there's a vampire hunter too, Bob Dylan, of all people. <laughs> so it's a little bit of fun. And it's about, you know, what would you do to become famous? And the third story, and if you can't, I could not write a, a book about pop culture and celebrity obsession without talking about the Kardashians. So the third book, the third story is called uh, Keeping Compliant with the Kardashians. And it's the Kardashians are a mystery to me because they are like the most famous people on the planet. Kim Kardashian is probably one of the richest women on the planet. And nobody will admit to ever watching their show. But if you talk to people, it's all their guilty, secret guilty pleasures that, yes, I watched it the other day. Oh, my God. But I had to watch it for this book and I couldn't get through more than 10 minutes. I'm, I'm perplexed by it. So I'm. So I'm taking on the Kardashians and trying to explain why they're so popular and what their aim and their goal is. So I had a little bit of fun with them as well. Oh, that sounds like fun. Could we have our first reading, please? Sure. I'm going to take an excerpt, read an excerpt from I Am Not Brad Pitt. And this is chapter one. In chapter one, Toby Crawford introduces himself. He's the narrator and he's uh, narrating the story from a jail cell. He has been convicted of murder, but he doesn't, he thinks Brad Pitt committed this murder. So he's making his case in this book. So he's going to start out describing how he became Brad Pitt. Uh, Memorial Day weekend, 1991. That's the weekend Brad and I were born. Well, that's the weekend we both became Brad Pitt. Thelma and Louise came out. Until then, he was just a lucky guy who did okay in the gene pool. And I was a guy who had no idea that I was just as lucky. But that movie changed both our lives. The fateful moment when Brad's destiny and mine would become entwined forever occurred about a month after the movie opened. I remember it very clearly because I did not want to see that movie. I was dying to see Backdraft. It was the closest thing to an action movie that was playing that weekend. I didn't want to waste my Saturday night at a chick movie. My friends outvoted me. I grudgingly went along. I mean, what else? What is a nerdy, lonely 25-year-old with no self-confidence to do on a Saturday night in Madison, Wisconsin? I had to admit, the movie was pretty good. But when Brad appeared on screen as the sexy hitchhiker, it didn't register with me. Like everyone else, I was struck by his charisma. I could never have that swagger, that charm. Never even entered my mind that I could be his twin brother. 
However, it registered with a couple of the women who were with my friends that night. We went out for beers after the movie, and they kept insisting that I looked like him. I thought they were making fun of me. There was no way I would ever resemble this guy who oozed sex on screen like that. I never oozed anything. Well, not anything good. One of the girls took out her brush and tried to give me his hair, but I just swatted it away. I ignored them. But not the next day. I woke up the next morning with this question creeping through all of my thoughts. What if I do look like him? I mean, what if I really was actually that good looking? Wouldn't that be something? But it couldn't be possible. People who looked like that knew they were good looking, didn't they? I wet my brush and styled my hair the way Brad's character did in the movie. I had a cowboy hat in my closet from an old Halloween costume. I put it on and stared at myself. I thought, maybe I might look like him. That was where it all began. I let my hair grow out and grew my sideburns a little bit. I went to the mall and bought the clothes that he wore in Thelma and Louise. Yes, the exact clothes. Being the nerd I was, I cut out pictures of him from a magazine that had his outfits and took those pictures shopping with me. When I looked in the mirror, the reflection was a very different image than I was used to seeing. But what if it was lying? Can mirrors lie? I needed someone else to see this. For Halloween that year, I broke off my tradition of hiding behind a costume to cover up my perceived flaws. My friends were floating the idea of The Simpsons or Pee Wee's Playhouse as a group costume. I declined. I had a surprise. When I showed up to our annual Halloween party as J.D. from Thelma and Louise, complete with clothes and hair, there was silence. Long, excruciating silence. I had purposely come late to the party so that I could get everyone's attention. This was difficult for me, as it was not in my DNA to seek attention. Even having my friends take that much notice of me was going to require what little confidence I had. I stood in the doorway as a small group gathered in front of me. I remember two distinct things about that moment. One woman, who was dressed as Lisa Simpson, was staring at my crotch. No one had ever looked at my crotch, and now Lisa Simpson was staring at it. And another few seconds later, Marge Simpson yelled out, smile like him. I knew the Brad grin that Marge was looking for. It was in all the photos that I used to track down his outfit. It occurred to me that I was focusing on the clothes and not the attitude. I put my hand on my hips, leaned a little sideways, and gave them the cocky Brad grin. That's when the screaming and squealing started. I had a superpower. I was Clark Kent. I could run into a phone booth and become Brad Pitt at a moment's notice. This was like going to sleep an orphan and waking up as the secret Getty heir. <laughs> so, you know, I'm really, I am still curious about how you decided which celebrities to write about. So I know, like you told us about the Kim Kardashian one, and, well, the, the Kardashians. And when I think about Brad Pitt and his popularity and all of that, for some reason, I still think like Tom Cruise. <laughs> but um, I would say that's amazing, because the story was originally, I am not Tom Cruise. Are you serious? It was, yeah, I wrote that story first. This story happened after, remember Tom Cruise was bouncing on the couch on Oprah and oh, yeah. uh, he went a little crazy. That's the next day I wrote, started writing the story because I was looking at that and thinking, this guy is trying to sell himself like he's normal, like he's one of us. Mm -hmm. But instead, he exposes himself and he's not one of us. He's not like anybody else. There's a, you know, I've, I've detected a malevolence in there, like a very targeted, like he's trying to pull off a fast one and trying to hide who he really is. And that's when I wrote, I'm not Tom Cruise. And 
people could easily believe he's a murderer. <laughs> I thought this is this is great. After I wrote it, my agents thought, you know, like he's he likes to sue. <laughs> and uh, he gets, he's a little sue happy. So I thought, well, let me flip it over to and then there was a matter of I you know, like I couldn't write about it, Tom Cruise without writing about his religion and I mm. kind of didn't want to go there. I didn't want to bring that whole argument into it. So I thought, well, Brad Pitt is like, it goes against character, you know, like it would be a more shocking revelation than Tom. Tom goes, well, of course he's a murderer, you know, like, but Brad Pitt would be a whole different ball game. So that's why I chose Brad Pitt. Oh, it would, that makes sense. It would have sense. to be somebody and it has to be an icon. It can't be somebody that only a certain, only a few people know. And, uh, you know, if the book ever goes to another country, everybody's got to know who that person is. That's one reason I chose Brad Pitt. Yeah, that makes sense. Have any celebrities that are in the book that you know, that you know of, have they, like, read the book? Have they responded at all? <laughs> you know, I've tried to get it to Brad Pitt for various, that you know, people who know people who know people. And uh, I have not, I, I, as far as I know, he's not read it yet. The closest I've gotten, <laughs> I was, when I put the book out, I was looking for a Brad Pitt lookalike to do a little photos thing. And, and you know, there's very few people that, and it turns out there's not many people who look exactly like him. There's one who looks exactly like him in England. Oh, wow. And so I tried to contact him through Facebook and he, you know, he's never responded. But oddly enough, his ex-girlfriend contacted me independently of that because she heard about the book. And I asked her, oh, could you get him to do the, the video? And she was like, oh, you don't want to do it. He's such a, he, he's become horrible since he's become Brad Pitt. And it's just like, I wrote a book about him. He wants to read it. Trust me. Anyhow, he never contacted me. My agent is like, you should be so lucky. If, you know, Brad Pitt sues you or something like that. But as far as I know, <laughs> no celebrity has read this book yet. I love that the agent thing is like, yeah, you know what? Let's get them to see you because then people are going to buy the book. And like, <laughs> you'll be the one in court talking about, well, my agent said this was a good I idea. Know. No bad like, publicity, right? <laughs> well, I, I suppose, but I, uh, I feel like there might be. Could we have another reading, please? Oh, sure, sure. This is uh, another section of Brad Pitt. This is where he has been Brad Pitt for a while now. He's gotten used to it. And his life has gotten into a rut. So this is a different part of part of his life. Life was changing for the both of us. We were both getting older, maybe getting that nesting instinct. Brad got married for the first time. I started to tire of all the sex. Well, maybe not the sex per se, but the women. They all became the same to me. They all wanted him, not me. I never had to put much effort into finding women. I just showed up somewhere and they would start talking to me. They really didn't care much what I had to say. They would laugh at my jokes, and I learned from their cues whether I was welcome to take them home. But actual dating, I was afraid to admit, but I, that was a skill I had never acquired. Talking to women about their lives was not necessary for me, since most women came on to me for my looks, cared a little bit about what was underneath. The double-edged sword, I felt like there wasn't that much underneath. All of that changed one fortunate weekend when I was bored enough to go on a blind date with some friends from work. I still remember that first encounter with Sophie Taylor. 
She was sitting at a table in the restaurant when I walked in and we were introduced by our mutual friend who loudly proclaimed, see, I told you it looks just like Brad Pitt. She calmly held out her hand and smiled. Don't worry, I won't hold that against you. Bam, she had my attention. She was a little older than my usual conquest, much more confident, sophisticated. For the first time since becoming Brad, I was a little bit intimidated by a woman. Why do you say that? Well, I'm not going to assume that's because you're so pretty, you aren't intelligent or just relying on your looks to get by. So I think that's kind of nice of me, don't you? Her smile spread across her entire face. Sophie was not classically pretty. She was not like my typical Jersey Shore type. She was impressive. Her features were distinct with big eyes that were always searching. A big nose that curved a little bit to the left. I smiled back at her. She didn't say this maliciously. She said it with a wink, a dare. I was fascinated by her bravado and now totally intimidated. How could I tell her that she was right? She wanted honesty? Fuck, I'll give her honesty. I agree, it's really nice of you, but but you're wrong. I am totally empty inside. There's not one original thought in my head. Nada, nothing. I was really counting on looking like a movie star to win you over. So now I don't know what to do. It's all I got. She scrutinized me a bit more. Was I pulling her leg? Her smile came back. Okay, let's start with that. Not one original thought in your head, right? Let me hear some of your unoriginal thoughts. Sophie wanted to know who I was. She was paying attention. This was new to me. Before I knew it, I started blathering on and on to her about statistics and probability. What's the probability of you having a doppelganger? She was genuinely curious. One in a trillion. I knew this from research. I also appreciated she asked about my doppelganger, not me being his doppelganger. You probably have differences in how your features are measured. She was staring at me like a science project. Even identical twins have some huge differences in facial measurements. Measures? What does that mean? Sophie plucked an olive out of her martini before explaining, sorry, I have a bad habit of focusing on minute facial details. I restore artwork at the museum, and I'm restoring a bunch of 18th century profiles. So the devil is in the details. How far your eyes are from your nose, how close your lips are to your nose. My guess is there are some big differences there. This was refreshing. I was talking to a grown-up, someone who knew details about art and who talked about my face as something other than a ticket to get in a club. For those few hours, I totally forgot who I looked like. I didn't worry about hair, maintaining the movie star smile, or if there was someone even hotter in the restaurant. I think she saw me in the same way she saw those paintings that had to be restored. She knew that if she scraped the paint and dirt off the surface a little bit, there was something better underneath. She could bring out the beauty hiding within. Since all of my relationships were based on who I looked like, there was a whole new experience to be with someone who wanted me, not him. She challenged me in ways no other woman would ever do. In relationships, I never had to do any heavy lifting. If I don't, didn't like the way a woman spoke to me, I easily move on to the next one. Sophie unmasked me. She demanded more, demanded I value her as she did me. I finally had to learn to care about another person, figure out how she would feel about decisions I made, think about how she was feeling. For a while, I almost forgot about him. Almost. Having Sophie in my life also challenged Brad. Why did I need him anymore? Had he outlived his usefulness? I had finally had a normal relationship. It wasn't like I needed his looks to go out and get women anymore. I definitely didn't need more attention from him. I was locked onto Sophie. We moved in together, and I assumed we'd get to marriage sooner or later. So for the most part, I thought my obsession had passed. Until Ocean's Eleven came out. 
Brad had a whole new look. He was now older, but still Mr. Cool. I could become that, I thought. In earlier days, I would have run right out to my stylist and had my hair redone. I would have had found the clothes he wore. But now it suddenly felt wrong. After all, my primary use for him was to gain access to women. So it felt like putting on the Brad mask was getting on a runway to cheating. That's when I began to realize maybe I was addicted to being him. Once in a while, Sophie and I would go to a concert or a five-star restaurant, and he would and he would come out again. I took great pleasure in preparing to become him for a night so we could get to the head of a line or better treatment. It satisfied some need in me I couldn't identify. That's when I thought it must be about power, not about the women, or maybe about attention. Maybe it was something out of my past when I was afraid of getting attention, and now the pendulum had swung where I hungered for it. Do they have an AA for this kind of addiction? Celebrity anonymous? Being hooked on looking famous anonymous? I don't think so. I wish they did, because as you will soon see, what happened in Las Vegas did not stay in Las Vegas. Wow. (laughs) So for my final question that I get to ask, I'm really curious about putting a collection together and how, as a writer, you decide like which stories go into the collection, how many is enough, how many is too much. How do you kind of create that balance? Well, this story, originally Brad Pitt was going to be a, a novella, but then the other two stories started forming in my head. And uh, I didn't have to edit any other stories. I just thought these are all have a coherent theme. And that's really what I was after. You know, there was another version of the Kardashians that didn't make it. So it was it was more or less always going to be these three stories. I am writing a sequel. <laughs> I can't I don't know why I can't quit the celebrity celebrities, but the next one is going to be one long book, one story about certain celebrities. And it's funny because I was going to ask, um, I was going to see if I could sneak in an extra question. And it was going to, it was going to be like, if you were to write, you know, it today, which celebrity or celebrities might you write about? So I guess if it's, you can either tell us the one that you are writing on, or maybe who you would write about instead of that one without giving away who you are writing about. No, I don't mind. It's the (laughs) next book is uh, called Dirty Grandpa 2. And it takes place, there's a movie with Bob De Niro and Zac Efron called Dirty Grandpa. It's kind of a hack comedy. I mean, it's, it was, you know, like one of those over the top, you know, like Bob De Niro played a dirty old man and Zac was his grandson and they have a trip together and hijinks ensue. So I imagine the they're making a sequel. And the this time what's different is I take the POV of Zac Efron. And during the filming, he's gets a little um, full of himself. He performs a stunt that a stuntman should do, and he knocks his head and goes unconscious. He wakes up in a world where entertainers and celebrities are minimum wage workers. Everything is upside down. So he's learning how to survive and, and whether he can survive in that world and what that world looks like. So that that's my next story. And uh, Elon Musk is big in that story. I've got Oprah. <laughs> uh, I've got Beyonce. Oh, you know, wow. I wonder, it's a it's a big cross section there. Oh wow! Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. And with that in mind, could we have our last reading, please? Sure, thank you. On this, this now that we're farther into the book with this section, Brad got in trouble in Las Vegas, and the real Brad Pitt noticed because there was uh, some uh, press about it. He met Britney Spears, and it created a kerfuffle. 
So Brad summoned him and gives him the ultimate offer to work for him. And that's been, you know, like, you'd be my double. But Sophie, is his new girlfriend, is dead set against it. She doesn't like Brad Pitt. She doesn't trust him. So he turns it down. So nobody turns down Brad Pitt. So what Toby Crawford finds out is that not only does he look like Brad Pitt, but Brad Pitt looks like him and starts going a little war, starts performing Toby acts that maybe Toby didn't do. <laughs> and anyhow, so in response to that, it starts a war. So Toby goes out now to get back at Brad Pitt. I was him again, and it felt like home. I should say I was not quite him yet. A few hours to go, but he was in me, waiting, pushing to get out. I took Interstate 55 and finally crossed the Mississippi border into Kenwood, Louisiana, after driving all night from Chicago. It was a 15-hour drive, but I made good time. I left Chicago at midnight, but pulled into New Orleans by 3 p.m. Enough time to get some sleep and get ready for a night on the town as him. One phenomenal blowout night. Planning a Brad outing was half the joy. It was a foreplay to becoming him. Plotting out the logistics, figuring out every angle to get maximum exposure as Brad with the least amount of risk. As with any addiction, anticipation was a big part of the high. My original instinct was a book of first-class flight and let Brad right out there in the Chicago airport. At the airport, I would wear a hoodie and sunglasses and make it very obvious that I was somebody incognito. I could anticipate the feeling of people straining out of the corners of their eyes to see if I was somebody. I would stare at my cell phone while pretending not to notice the attention. At the ticket counter, I would take off my glasses and watch what happened after the big reveal. I really wanted that walk through security while nervous guards told me to put my bag on the conveyor belt. I could almost taste it, but not this time. I didn't want my fingerprints on this. I was walking a dangerous tightrope. If my name was traced back to this weekend, then it would lose a lawsuit, lose my job, lose Sophie, everything. If I flew, then my credit card could be traced to the flights. I also had an alibi just in case it came down to that. I found a benign business conference in Chicago, the future of digital technology in the workplace, registered for it, and then checked into a hotel for the conference. I even went to the convention, had them scan my badge, and after a few hours, made a beeline for the interstate. Once I got back to town, I'd have to check out of that convention center hotel. I had every base covered. Closer to New Orleans, I headed for the New Orleans Ocean Lakefront Airport, a small airport from the golden days of flying, located just a few minutes outside the city. This is where private jets landed and would most likely be the airport that Brad's plane would land. I had a limo reserve under the name Mr. Smith that would pick me up and take me from the airport to the Ritz-Carlton. As I pulled in the small airport parking lot, my pulse was already racing. I was about to commit a crime, but even more, I was about to let Brad out. I had his clothes, not just what I thought he would wear, but copies of his actual outfits that I found from pictures online. For airports, Brad liked earth tones, unconstructed jackets with loose linen pants, a silk tee, and usually a scarf around the neck. A straw fedora and aviators completed the outfit. I stepped out of the car and stood tall in the parking lot. At long last, I was him. Brad juice started flowing through my veins. I had his confidence. I was fearless as the most recognized man on earth. I pulled out my phone for the weekend and texted the limo, arriving ahead of schedule, landing in a few minutes. This time was so different from previous Brad outings. The weekend with Brad gave me the chance to observe him carefully. The nuances in his behavior, the way he smiled. He didn't just smile, he built it, starting slowly and let it widen until all the teeth were revealed. He squinted when he didn't understand something. His handshake was aggressive and heartfelt. 
I was fully transforming into him. I couldn't fuck this up. There was no fuck ups. If I fucked up, it would be Brad's fuck up. The limo pulled up and the driver jumped out, surprised to see me. I'm Mr. Pitt, I'm so sorry to make you wait. Let me get your bag. Hey, buddy, we were early. No worries. Also, I'm Mr. Smith this weekend, okay? Of course, Mr. Smith. I'd also been working on this voice, just like he told me to do. From the back of the limo, I called the Ritz-Carlton and asked to speak to the manager on duty. Of course, Mr. Pitt, we're delighted to welcome you back to the Ritz-Carlton. Just pull into the back garage and I'll meet you there. Perfect. I didn't want to make a reservation in advance. Too much risk in trying to hold a room in his name. It all got very complicated the more I thought about it. I've been used a prepaid visa card to reserve the limo. But if Brad fucking Pitt showed up at your hotel and said, give me a room, you are going to give him your best room. Fifteen minutes later, we were pulled into the back entrance of the Rizzo Carlton at the edge of the French Quarter. The concierge opened my door. Welcome back to the Ritz, Mr. Pitt. I'm Charles Placer, and I'm here to make your stay perfect. Would you mind following me to your suite? As he led me through a separate entrance for celebrities, I remained cool, but I wanted to high-five this dude and scream, yes, the plan had fallen into place and was going better than expected. I was escorted into an elevator. Charles asked me if I wanted the usual arrangements. I wasn't sure what that meant. Payment arrangements? Room arrangements? Normally, this would make me break a sweat. The jig was up. My Brad mask would be ripped off. But I was a new improved Brad. The Brad who could move stars across the sky. I looked at the concierge, tilted my head, and squinted. A charger business account? This crossed into felony territory. I'd done the research. It was the same as stealing a credit card. I'd like this one off the books, if you don't mind, buddy. I'll just pay cash. Understood, Mr. Pitt. We can settle that at checkout. We have the presidential suite available. The elevator opened to a small hallway with just one door. Charles opened the door to a huge suite, more than huge, enormous, grand piano and spiral staircase, enormous. A bead of sweat formed on my forehead. This had to be thousands per night. I didn't have that kind of cash. I should have told Charles I wanted a small room for the night, but I didn't. I wanted to spend the room this night here in this suite. I couldn't become Brad in a small regular hotel room, even at the Ritz. It just wouldn't work. I had covered my tracks pretty well. There was no way my name could be traced back to this reservation. Just my face, which was also his face. Fuck it. This would go on Brad's business account. As far as I was concerned, I was Brad fucking Pitt. So where can we buy I Am Not Brad Pitt and other stories? <laughs> uh, Amazon. It's exclusive. My publisher has an exclusive deal to sell it only on Amazon. I'm on all social media. I'm, I Am Not Brad Pitt. On Twitter, on Instagram, and I've got a, a web page at rossdrivelight.com, but Amazon's the best place to get it. Wonderful. Ross, thank you so much for being our guest, for reading. It was a treat. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for hosting. It was a treat to meet you. <laughs>